This is the Social Pros Podcast, the weekly show for real people doing real work in social media. With your host, Jay Bear of Convince and Convert, and featuring Jeff Roars, Nick Cicero from Expian, and great guests from the world of social media and content marketing. Social Pros is sponsored by Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company, Expian, Janray, powering personalized marketing with customer profile management, and Cision. Ready to learn from the pros? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, joined as usual by me, compadre, Mr. Jeffrey K. Roars from Exact Target Marketing Cloud, live right to my left. That's a little confusing. To my left. Uh, in a uh, undisclosed business center in Cleveland, Ohio, we are again live at Content Marketing World. You may have heard our show last week with Ann Handley. This show is taped just a little bit after that. So Jeff is wearing the same outfit. I'm wearing the same outfit, but we have changed seats. How are you? I'm doing well. This is a fabulous spa- space that we found in my town. It is. This this uh, Weston Hotel Business Center <coughs> doubles as a social media command center, or so it appears. Uh, we do not have Zena as a special guest appearance on the show. Nick is still bound and gagged in the corner as he was uh, a week ago or a few hours ago in real time. But making up for the absence of Nick and Zena, we have a very special guest on the show, a man who, in a somewhat befuddling fashion, has not been on the Social Pros podcast, has not graced these areas. Airwaves, probably because he's busy gracing his own airwaves or greasing his own airwaves, as the case may be. It is my friend and soon to be yours, Mr. Mark W. Schaefer, the executive director of Schaefer Marketing Solutions, the proprietor of one of your favorite blogs ever called Grow, a podcaster, an author of how many books have you written now? Like 37. You're like the David Meerman Scott of our generation. <laughs> uh, five. <laughs> five. Five books. I've written two books uh, and two ebooks, so two and a half books. Five books from this man. You're a slacker. I am evidently a slacker. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you. I'm still trying to Thank deal you. with this visual image of Mark greasing the airwaves, but uh, I'll, greasing I'll, I'll, the deal airwaves. With it. I'll deal with it later. Tell everybody, it before later. we start, uh, in, for real, tell everybody about your podcast because it's fantastic. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say. You know, I do it uh, with Tom Webster, who has been on the show. Brilliant, brilliant guy. And, uh, you know, we, we have, we're having dinner at South by Southwest uh, about a year and a half ago. And we just had so much fun and such a great conversation. I said, you know, I wish we, we could capture this because this was such great content. And as I was thinking about doing a podcast, I said, you know what? The only way I would do this would be with Tom. I asked him and without hesitation, he said, absolutely. We've been doing it for over a year now. And I think the fun that we have really comes through on the podcast. We, you know, we, we, our goal every podcast on the Marketing Companion is to crack each other up. And we usually do that. Mission accomplished. The Marketing Companion. Look for that uh, on iTunes. And soon, you'll be able to find that on my new site, Mm marketingpodcasts.com. The fantastic search engine for marketing podcasts launching soon. Be watching for that. Now, tell us about the new version of one of your famous books. Mm. 
the Tao of Twitter, uh, which is in its second edition, revised edition, third edition. Well, if you count, I, I actually uh, self-published the book the first time. Yeah, I remember. Time. Yeah. And uh, because the publishing world really wasn't interested in a small book. They wanted a 240-page book so they could get yeah. their price point. I said, I'm not writing a big book about Twitter. I want to write a book that someone can read on a plane and figure it out and love it. So I did it myself. And believe it or not, it became the best-selling book on Twitter in the world. Self-published. Later, McGraw uh, relaunched it in 2012. And it's continued. It's just a beloved book. I mean, it's a very human book. It's not all about the gadgets and the widgets and the tech, although that's in there. (coughs) And um, so to keep it up to date, uh, I thought it was time to... Um, updated and it actually turned out to be almost a total rewrite. I would say about 75, 80 yeah. percent of the book is completely new. You started pulling the thread and you're like, oh, I have no sweater left. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly oh. right. Were you, this will be an easy project. Oh, yeah, maybe were you not. digging a hole. Like as you started it, you're like, oh crap. Well, I started <laughs> digging a hole because what I realized was, and you know, I, I just I I had to be always, you know, intellectually honest with what is going on with Twitter, and there have been so many changes in the last two years. I re- the first book was written from the perspective that there's this human pulse mm-hmm. that was really fueling Twitter, these these connections and networking. And now we know how laughably naive that was. <laughs> <laughs> the human pulse went out the window the when pulse. the company became public, I yeah, think, is, uh, is they, the official yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. And so I never really had to think about that. Yeah. I mean, is it is it broadcasting now? And, and so what I decided was, you know, yes, that there, that there still is a, there's a pulse to it, but there's a lot of muscle now, too. And, and Twitter has innovated. They've created new promotional and advertising uh, platforms, and I had to get into that. Mm-hmm. And I had to explain that, and how's that used for business? So I think the book still has a lot of heart, but it has I've added some muscle. Well, and it's, it's a book, as you say, is intellectually honest. It's true. Well, um, and let's, be, let's be clear. The heart is technically a muscle. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that. You know, that is a wonderful... That's great. Thank you. We'll I leave the medical advice trying. to Dr. Mark Schaefer. Well, I'm good for one good comment, Thank so you. I'm going to go back to sleep over here. Um, we talked about this a little bit off-air and exchanged an email about it. There's been some conversation here at Content Marketing World uh, about Twitter's forthcoming algorithm change, where they will start to sort the news feed uh, by perceived relevance, uh, similar to how Facebook handles it, as opposed to a straight timeline, uh, you know, organizing content on Twitter in the order in which it was published. That is, uh, at least in my estimation, a major, major, major change at the very heart of the platform. Mark, why do you think that they are doing this? And is that going to be good news for Twitter or bad news for Twitter? And, and what are businesses going to have to do as a result of this? Well, the one thing I'd like to make clear, unless you have some, some new information that I don't have, is that there hasn't been anything official announced on this. That's true. Okay. But... That's never stopped us before on social pros. <laughs> no, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. But the one thing you can count on about Twitter, it's, you know, it's a very well-managed company, and they signal the marketplace. They usually give you about 12 to 18 months before they make a big change. So so I, I think... Unlike Facebook, which just makes changes and then issues press releases. Yeah. <laughs> and apologies. Yeah, mostly apologies, yeah, in the form of press releases. Blog posts. So, uh, so this is consistent that um, both their CFO and their CEO have kind of passed along this idea that they're going to uh, edit the, the, the timeline for, you know, I think for the purists, uh, it's like, whoa. I mean, this is what we love 
it's raw, it's human, and we can control the content. I control my content through Twitter lists and other platforms where you can see who you want to see and, and what you want to see. I love that about Twitter. I love seeing the whole thing. And um, so I think for a lot of the of Twitter's greatest advocates, this is causing some heartburn. The reason why they're doing it, I think that's very simple. Twitter, they, I mean, when you look at the analyst reports, every time they come out with their quarterly numbers, the analysts are hammering them on they got to increase the users. Now, they actually beat the numbers in the last quarter, but they've got to sustain this forever, every quarter, forever, now that they're a public company. You know, this inexorable pressure to increase the revenue, increase the profits, increase the number of users. And what's the number one obstacle? Twitter is difficult to use. It, there's, there's, it's, it doesn't have a great interface. It's, it's very perplexing for people, and I think that's what's driving this. If they can, you know, if they can make it less intimidating, less of a wall of noise, and frankly, make it more like Facebook, that's the play here. Is that they're trying to get more users. And there's a lot of sort of inscrutable inside baseball stuff in in Twitter that you don't see as much in Facebook with the ats and the RTs and the well, MTs. There's yeah. just a, there's just a lot it's of another language. Yeah. Look at the look at the look at the period before the at if right. if you're responding. Right. That still just flabbergasts me that yeah. that That's you have to do dumb. that. Isn't that, that just it's just dumb? Yeah, it just uh, there's so many little nuances like that. And you go and you tell somebody who's been using it for a long time. They don't understand. We often yeah. have that in strategic audits uh, for major enterprise clients who, yeah. who don't know that. And that's and that's really, I mean, why my book has done so well because it's the user manual. Yeah, that, I they, mean, that tw- they should have had. Twitter yeah. doesn't have a user manual. You know, you know what's interesting? It reminds me back in my LexisNexis days in the in the late '90s. LexisNexis had, um, you know, really been the search and, and legal research pioneer. Mm-hmm. All Boolean logic, yeah. right? So you've got to type in searches a certain way for them to execute. Westlaw comes along and institutes natural language, and even though the result sets are not nearly as good, people immediately yeah. gravitate to that. Yeah. That's kind of the difference you have right now. In well, I think if you, if you if you look at this with with some intellectual honesty, the people who are who are you know having an outcry over this, it's you know it's it's probably a pretty small percentage of the population mm-hmm. you know and i think it's it's you know it may not matter but it's 100 percent of people who listen to this show yeah <laughs> i can guarantee you that yeah that's right uh but i mean i'm sure you know twitter i think is a very well-managed company i'm sure they're running the numbers they're doing the research um and, and certainly i think one of the at least what's been rumored is that once you go to a algorithmically defined news feed then they can start to put the squeeze on organic reach the same way that Facebook has. Right, right. And then it will be, well, uh, if you want to reach your followers on Twitter, you can pay for the right to do that. Um, uh, and that's going to be one of the ways that they squeeze more blood out of that stone. And and as I've said many times, that that is their right. And the fact that we all sort of expected, or many people expected, uh, that social media would remain free uh, for organic reach was probably uh, foolish naivete on the part of uh, most people. Well, folks always knew they were building another uh, other people's sand, right? You're, yeah. you're using that channel, but yeah. what's your wh- what's your take? Do you feel that uh, you know, is this really a problem that'll be confined to kind of the early adopter and they will be able to grow the marketplace and therefore it won't uh, it won't matter a hill of beans in 2 years from now? Well, I think it will. I think I think it will matter and I mean and I think Twitter knows this, but this is one of the their core competencies, is having this raw, unfiltered, 
channel, the news breaks on Twitter. And you know what? If they filter the stream, it's not going to break on Twitter. Yeah. It's not going to break until it's trending. Yeah. You know? Now, Just like on Facebook, right? It shows up on the right-hand side. It, yeah. it, now, the, the, if there's any silver lining for, for business implications on this, it might be this. I mean, today, let's face it. If you put something on Twitter, it's pretty much like throwing a bottle into the ocean. You don't really know who's going to see it or if they're <laughs> going to see it. If you do have a filter stream based on who's connected to you, who's interacting with you, you know, you might actually have, uh, I think, I, I love the term you used, uh, Jay, the reliable reach, mm. okay? You may actually be able to grow more reliable reach if you have... If you're topically relevant. Topically relevant. Okay? We talked about uh, last time with Anne. That, when that, people are connected yeah. to you, yeah. uh, you know, in a very mindful mm-hmm. way, then maybe, you know, there could be a silver lining for business. Yeah, I mean, right now, we talked about this in the last show, that that right now most people follow one another on Twitter because they want to follow the person. Mm. Increasingly, under this new dynamic, if it rolls out, I suspect you'll follow people even more so because of the topic. And I would even go as far as to say, uh, as your example from from John Green last, last week, was that people will start to have Mark Schaefer about social media Twitter account, and then a Mark Schaefer about boating and fishing account or, or, or sort of personal stuff that will start to split up our, our topics and create more Twitter handles that are topically pure to, to play that, uh, that algorithm game, which I think is really interesting, especially for business. You know, I hope, I hope it doesn't end up that way, that you have to have multiple accounts. I hope that the, the service gets smart enough to allow you to, uh, to tune out those topical threads from an individual that aren't interesting. Because I think about it in a Facebook standpoint, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I can click that I don't want to see this, and I'll do that most often instead of you know uh, unfriending. Right. I don't want to see things about posts right. about this topic. Yeah, you yeah. know, shut up about your your politics. I don't yeah. want to see that. But I do want to Farm see pictures of your family. Yeah. And I, I wonder if Twitter can you know crack that code because I think there is some some magic in that. But again, we're talking about something that requires the user to do extra stuff and makes it more complex. Right, which which gets you right back to the beginning. Exactly, which complex. means they're not going to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Which means they're not going to do it. And the other thing that's so interesting about this is that Twitter, I, again, one of their strengths is that they've become the de facto second screen, 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 yeah. screen for a lot of media. People are tweeting while they're watching a football game or watching a live event like the Oscars. Or even a, or even a broadcast, even a you know regularly scheduled you know, Mad Men show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, I, I see people even tweeting while they're seeing your podcast. Not many, mm-hmm. but, but a few. Yes. So, Nick. Um, mostly Nick. Yeah, <laughs> mostly, mostly Nick. Nick. That's as we're recording but, it. But again, you know, the <laughs> issue is you've got to have that raw stream, you know, as it's happening. To be able to create value for broadcasters and advertisers Twitter has to, you know, they have to have that data. And if they start filtering and, and, uh, and, and blocking some of this, it's, it's going to hurt the other piece of their business, which is the raw data collection that's so valuable to these media companies. You know, the one thing about Twitter uh, that sets it apart from, I think, every other social network is that power users, which is us and probably everybody who listens to this show, mm-hmm fundamentally use it differently than non-power users, right? Because a lot of what Twitter's talking about is making the public stream more relevant because it can be noisy. It's kind of MySpace-ish in there sometimes. Um, And I have not looked at the public stream 
in like literally years. Mm-hmm. I'll just look forward around hashtags. I only look around. at I only look at my lists. Yeah, my lists of my peeps. Right. Yes. I see what you post, and even and 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 that's not how most people use Twitter. I totally get that. I use Facebook the same way my mom uses Facebook, generally speaking. Maybe at a different scale, yeah. but it's the same tools, the same experience. Google Plus, the same. LinkedIn, the same. Yeah. Pinterest, the same. Instagram, the same. But Twitter, I yeah. use Twitter totally differently than than a non-power and user. The thing is, is you and for to, different reasons, and you had to learn to do that. One hundred percent. And I also and I also have to people. use software yeah. that costs me money. Right. Right, my mom's not investing in yeah. in a social media management system yeah. to help uh, understand her well, Twitter. You, that's always that's always. But Christmas is coming. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. Give the gift of sass. <laughs> and that's always a symbol in business: is that when you need an opener, when you need another intervention to use something, that's a problem. Yeah. You know, though, it hasn't stopped beer. So, uh, a, a little disclosure. Uh, Mark's drinking while we're recording well, of this podcast. It's a first. Of course, and you're drinking too. I am too. And but yours required an opener. Yeah. Right. I had to open that beer. Yeah. There are beer sales. So the but the question is how how simple do you want to make it before you lose you lose your audience? And right. That's that's the thing that the fine line that Twitter's got to walk. And uh, you know as you've described a power user, Jay. It's interesting. I'm not a power user then of Twitter because I actually do not use lists. I actually kind of abhor lists. I like the serendipity of the noisy stream mm-hmm. of everybody that I have followed. And it's it, it's because there's nothing there's nothing else out there that gives me yeah. the serendipity of all my interest graph because I follow these people for a reason. For re- reasons, yeah. right? I, I and I think the challenge is that I follow way too many people because there was a time back when we didn't know better or I didn't know better where I, I set my account for about a six to 12 month period to auto follow people back who followed me. Yikes. Uh, and so it ran it up to 26,000 or 28,000 or whatever I follow now, mm-hmm. which is about 27,000 too many. Right. And now I can't get the genie back in the bottle. So, yeah, you're never so unless I go. That. So unless I go, yeah, I mean, that's not even an intern job. That's, you right. know, that's a... Uh, it's a terrible task, and, and and so unless you just go full Chris Brogue and be like, look, I'm out, mm-hmm. and I'm starting over from zero, which yeah. I don't want to do that project either. Yeah, uh, I'm done a broken. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you become a verb. Yes, that's that's one of my goals. <laughs> Invoked as a as long as it's positive. If I yeah, ever yeah, need yeah, to, I don't think you can control yeah, that. Yeah, though. Don't I want to, to, a verb is a, if you become an adjective, that's bad. If you're a verb, that usually means you're somebody. If by the end of the show we can come up with like something that I, I shafered it. Well, uh, oh, we have to ask about if he is connected to the uh, the, the Schaefer, Schaefer Brewing beer family. Fortune. That was a rumor on last week's uh, show. Whether or not you are related to the Schaefer not beer that family. I not that I know of. Unless it would give me free stuff, then I am. Oh. That's like when you're like I'm one sixty fourth Cherokee. Can I own <laughs> yeah. part of this casino? That yeah. kind of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, my famous, most famous relative uh, was uh, Shirley Temple. Wow. That was I was related. a fantastic uh, content marketer. I was related. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know. So uh, today in my inbox, got a notice from Twitter about uh, privacy and other changes because they're allowing yes, I saw that in tweet purchases. Uh, what's your thought on that move? Oh, well, because now you're going to have to put your credit card in, and they're yeah. going to have a whole trust and security issue. Yeah. On that. Well, I mean, it's it's uh, what I ask a lot of uh, my my students in my in my in my classes. Have you seen the movie The Social Network? Would you? give your business to those people? <laughs> Would you give them your credit card number? You know, 
I mean, they, they're. But, they you know, what if, but if Home Depot is getting hacked, you know, oh, yeah. and Target's getting hacked, and well, Best Buy's getting. I mean, that's a whole other issue. Who, I mean, where who's safe now? I mean, Twitter's yeah. not any more unsafe than anything well, I mean, else. I, I think that, that's something. That, I mean, that's something that. Uh, that Tom and I have talked about in our podcast is that I think that we're really into an era of malignant complexity. Complexity does it's not inc- it does not increase in a linear fashion. Fashion, right. Yep. all right. It goes up exponentially, and we're getting to a point where nobody understands the internet. Nobody understands security, and and with this malignant complexity, there's gonna. I mean, there's gonna be this is more and more hacks like this. Yeah. This is just yeah. the tip of the iceberg. And when's it gonna get to a point where a company, a nation? Is held hostage over. You know, it's already happened in a few. Small yeah, we just don't hear about it as much right. yeah, uh, right. as it as it occurs. Certainly, and I and I wonder if if we are eventually going to get to the point where there is a chilling effect on e-commerce, where there, e-commerce yeah. actually wow. tapers. I think because and we yeah. used to say like I've yeah. been doing internet since '94, right? And I remember literally spending five years of my career convincing people that it was safe. To put their credit card to buy something on Amazon, because the 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 yeah. example we'd always use is when you give the waiter your credit card in the restaurant and they take it away from oh, yeah. the table, you have no idea what they're doing. And then they bring it back. That's not any more or less secure than giving it to Amazon. And everybody kind of eventually came around to that. And obviously, e-commerce is a is an enormous uh, force. But now, if all of a sudden you're like, hey, my credit card information is no longer secure online, now do you say, you know what? I actually feel more comfortable getting in my car and driving down to the mall again. So here's my thought. That's crazy. Here's my thought on that, though. The burden now, it used to be mid-90s, the burden was on the consumer, right? Because if you got your credit card taken, you had liability. Mm -hmm. The liability protections of the card companies weren't as much. Now, the card companies, in order to get you to use their cards, in order to get their 2 or 3%, are basically uh, Saying, saying we will cover that. So now it's not necessarily a consumer issue with regard to the money involved. It's a consumer issue with the private data involved. Well, and and I think that's a wonderful point that it's going to be interesting to see if this starts seeping into marketing conversations because this is going to be a point of marketing differentiation Mm -hmm. to say, you know, we have some ultra security. Qantas has never crashed, right? Yeah. You'll be able to say in your landing yeah. page, never been hacked. Never, yeah. And and of course, you know, that's just going to make. Yeah, you as soon target. as you do it, it makes you target. However, <coughs> and I think the other thing that we that we'll need to to look at is, I think you're right, Jay, that at some point there's going to be some signature event that really hurts people in their pocketbook and wakes them up and say, "Wow, it's just Target, you know, Home Depot, one after another after another," is and and. You know, look, companies. This is the heart of their of their commerce now. They're making more money online than they are in the stores. When does the government get involved? I mean, they, you well, know, I when mean, does they the government involved? I mean, well, they are involved too. But when, when is it? Prevention. When is it the point when the government says, "We this 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 is this this is too big to fail. Uh, we can't have these companies being hacked all the time. We need to start inviting companies behind the government firewall." All right, then what are the implications mm-hmm. of that? But I mean. I don't think that's too far off. I mean, how, how I don't think the government firewall is any more secure. I mean, you see, you hear the the yeah. the uh, reports that uh, Chinese and Russian hackers have gotten got into the various, IRS. Yeah, various yeah. parts of the government. I'm going back to wampum. I'm paying with everything with with beads and bitcoins. And bitcoins. You've heard it here first. Folks, develop develop uh, barterable skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Etsy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm going to trade you a blanket. 
There's some one red paperclip. That's what I'm going to say. Precisely. Uh, You and I are working on a side project uh, for eConsultancy, a series of thought leadership pieces with a bunch of other uh, great friends of ours, Ted Rubin, Mitch Joel, Brian Clark, uh, Lee Oden. Uh, Your submission to that project, which was uh, dutifully early, thank you very much for your attention to show off. Uh, uh, Handsome (laughs) handsome and on time. That's what we call shapering. Uh, okay, copyright 2014. Commits to convert LLC. Although um, I believe that is an adverb, not an adjective. That's true. Oh, okay, sorry. Jeez, you're just, the stickler nature Shut of your participation this week is it. killing it. Good. You wanted a verb. So um, we'll work on it. Give me, give me a little more time. Leave it the way it is. So, um, uh, the thesis of your submission was that uh, social media is inherently like medieval times, yeah. uh, which I found a really fascinating uh, approach. And you actually have a, a great slide share on your blog recently on that same topic. You've been doing a nice job on the slide share, by the way. Really good stuff. Um, can you talk about that thesis and, and lay it out for the folks at home? Well, I'm, I'm often brought into big companies and it's like, well, you know, we're bringing you in because our management team just doesn't get this and we need to get them comfortable with social media and you have one hour. <laughs> so I've been challenging myself. With bathroom breaks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what can you do? What can you really say in an hour? And so it actually started out uh, by telling a story about my grandfather. My grandfather was a plumber in Pittsburgh for 50 years, and I started thinking about how did he do business with his customers? And it was, you know, think about some of these aspects. It was, it was face-to-face. It was built completely on word-of-mouth reputation. Uh, there was transparency, there was immediacy. If he did something wrong, people were gonna tell their neighbors. And not only did his word of mouth reputation matter a lot, but the word of mouth reputation of his customers that could spread the word about him meant a lot too. And as I thought about this, I said, you know what? This is the way it's been for a thousand years. We just had this 100 years of, of an interruption beginning with radio advertising in the 1920s that issued in this era of mass media and broadcasting, which by the way, worked very, very well, and it still does. But it created this episode of time where we forgot about this personal connection with our customers and that our customers, they still want to buy from who they know, who they trust. And this is the historic opportunity that's presented once again with social media. And so the way I use this in my teaching and in my consulting is to really make people calm down a little bit, to say, look, I mean, this, it doesn't necessarily change everything. It's not really all that hard to understand. We just have to think about in our DNA, how do we want to really know people? How do we really want to buy from people? Let's remember what it was like walking down to the corner butcher store or the corner candy store like our parents did in the 30s or the 40s. I mean, that's still in our DNA. We There's this, there's this need for communion, for fun. If you go to villages in Italy, they still have the, the squares. And when the sun goes down, people come and talk and trade. It's very social. And people crave that. And that's what social media is bringing back. So we just have to recognize that this isn't something mystifying and new. It's something that's in our hearts that we're just starting to see again. 
I think some businesses would say that the rise of radio and then television, etc., was primarily because it, it gave them reach that made dissemination of communications to target audiences more efficient and can make more money and things like that, and that social media uh, is harder. It's harder to do that, right? It requires actual time and effort, and you've, you've of course, a million times heard the, the saying that social doesn't scale, and, and that's the challenge, to which I say, uh-huh. Like, okay, it doesn't. Why does it have to scale? Like, why does every why does every way that we communicate with people have to be as scalable as television? That's not written down anywhere. That's not a rule, is it? Right. And, but that's what people want. They want authenticity at scale. Yeah. Well, what if you can't have both things? Yeah. What if those are mutually exclusive? That, you have to understand that a deal breaker? what it, you have to understand what it is, but that doesn't mean you ignore it. Yeah, just because you can't just because you can't reach a million people at once with a tweet, usually some people can, but usually you can't, doesn't mean that that's not worthwhile. It just mm-hmm. means that it's part of the story, not the whole story. And I, and I think you know you're a smart guy. I've been in marketing long before uh, uh, social media became a thing, uh, and and even you would not suggest to any company, I don't think, that social media is their only form of communication. No, of course not. Of, of course not, and you have to be very careful about that in our business, not to be a hammer looking for a nail. Uh, you know, you still need to start with uh, you know data. You have to look. You have to you look at research. You have to look at all the classic uh, marketing angles that we've always looked at. But I mean, you also can't ignore that. This is where a lot of people are getting their information today, and you know we talked about. Uh, you know the networking opportunities of, of Twitter, the connecting opportunities of Twitter, but a lot of these social platforms are also uh, a great place where people are turning for customer service, where they're com- where they're turning for you know product research, uh, where they're looking for recommendations and reviews. So there's so many ways that this is hitting business. Uh, we we just can't ignore it, but we have to view it very clearly about what it can and cannot do. I think the one of the challenges is that uh, people still uh, want social media to be one thing and it's simply not right you've just articulated all the things that it is and it's we've talked about it I think before in the podcast the classic blind men and the elephant right mm-hmm. the blind men led into the room asked to say what's in the room and each of them is touching a different part of the elephant that they can't see and so they're all saying different things it's a house it's a whip it's a it's a sword right um, and I think that continues to be a little bit of the predicament I think Jay, you're hitting upon something interesting in that um, they're looking they're looking at to compare it to something they know, mass media, in large part because they want it to replace the ease of buying audiences. Mm-hmm. They want it to replace, you know, uh, uh, of just the simplicity of saying, "Oh, this is where the 25 to 35 year old women go uh, at 8 p.m. at night," <clears throat> and Twitter, Facebook, others are certainly working. To try and give that, but it is it is going to be interesting to see if they kill the golden goose, because I I firmly believe we're not in a time where there's a one to one replacement of mass media or print journalism as there you know as people perhaps want. There's some well, there's a, equity being lost, right? Yeah, you're, you're probably something that I see out there. There's this tension out there right now that I see, where a lot of companies are starting to get this, but they typically will hand over. An initiative like this to an advertising agency, right? So I was talking to a brand the other day, and they're so frustrated that they said, "Look, you know, we want to connect, we want to use social media, and every time we turn it over to the advertising agency, it comes back as ads." <laughs> That's and, crazy. And, but I'm seeing this over and over again. There's this, and, and in some ways, the marketing departments are enablers because 
that's how their budgets are done. It's easy to do an advertising budget. They're built on campaigns. Mm-hmm. Uh, advertising agencies are built on campaigns. So there's like this constant dance and tension that's really creating some sluggishness in the adoption because organizationally they're not prepared to connect with people this way. Well, and let's also throw in another complicating factor, and that is the churn you have in employees on both sides of that relationship. So the loss you have on the agency side as people move out, the loss you have on the brand side. Um, and absent that kind of consistency of uh, appreciation and understanding for the brand, the brand voice, how we act, how we serve in social media, both sides are constantly in this re-education and you're never getting, you're never, never getting deep with that relationship because they don't remember the proverbial standing in the square five years ago talking with you because they weren't there. That's not passed down. So you can only get this deep. And so I, I wonder if, if you know, some of the best companies in social media, say five, ten years from now, are going to be the ones who have figured out, cracked the code on employee stability and loyalty and the things that drive yes. a brand awareness for a long period of time. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, we're, we're not, we're built for churn today. We're not built for the long term. We're not built for establishing relationships. We're not budgeting. We're budgeting for campaigns, not relationships. Well, I, so, did a, I did an analysis, Jesus, gotta be like three years ago now, maybe more, where I, I looked at the top 500 companies and the best places to work mm-hmm. uh, research. And then the top 500 companies in the Dotchess Group Social Business Index before they were purchased by mm-hmm. Sprinkler. And, and the overlap between those two lists was like 30-something percent. Um, sort of mm-hmm. you know, making your case, Jeff, that, that companies that treat their people well and therefore have uh, better loyalty and sort of a better corporate culture, if you want to shorthand it, are also better at external social media. And that stands to reason, right? Well, I think... You can see they're they're just well-managed companies. And a lot of people ask me, well, who are the examples of people who are doing social media well? I said, just look at the best-managed companies. They do everything well. They know they have to adapt. They know they have to adopt. And, you know, they've been successful for many years because they they change and they they learn a new way. So if you just look at the most admired companies, those are the ones who are going to be doing social well, too. Yeah, I mean, social media ex- makes the rich richer, right? And, and exposes everybody else. Yeah. It really does. I mean, if and although what I sometimes find humorous, and I'm sure you see this as well, that sometimes companies that are maybe not great companies tend to shoot the messenger and say, well, social media is causing us all these problems, right? There's all this negativity in social media. You know, we don't want to be, you know, we got to get out of social media because people are always beating us up. It's like, look, if your company sucks, you know, Twitter is not your problem. Like you are misplacing your ire here. You you are a fundamental issue. This is just symptomatic of a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Hey, let, let me ask you something. A couple of years ago, we if did, you want to ask me something, no, I have to be on no, your podcast. No, no, That's no, no, how no, no, no. I'm hijacking the podcast. Okay, great. No, because I think this is relevant. A couple of years ago, we did a little video interview, and one of the things you and I disagreed about was how social social media marketing would eventually be incorporated into traditional marketing or if it would stand alone as its own function. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I basically said the reason it's going to continue to stand alone is because it's changing so much. Mm-hmm. That there has to be this core competency that's different mm-hmm. and that a lot of big companies wouldn't be able to afford to just have that competency that it would emerge. We'd have these boutique agencies kind of picking up that competency that will eventually be mm-hmm. outsourced. You basically said, 
it's gonna marketing is marketing. It's gonna be kind of rolled in. Yeah, I kind of feel the same on that. How do you feel? At, what I've seen is that it depends on two things. One, um, how how much of the company's overall communications does social media represent, right? So so how big uh, is the social media share of the communications pie? Yeah, that's that's, that's one stake. part of it. Yeah. And then the other one is we, we're starting to spend a lot of time on the consulting side really splitting apart the proactive and reactive sides of social, right? That social media or social business, some people would call it, versus social media marketing are really different animals. So I think today still uh, we're at the point where social media marketing is still a job function. Many people are in charge of it. But social media without the marketing on the end is very much being pushed out um, to the margins of the organization. You have a lot of people doing a lot of work and increasingly so in employee advocacy and saying, look, everybody in our company or most people in our company should be active on Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn in particular, things like that. And, and you're starting to see more and more of that broad-based uh, social enablement. I think you'll see more of that, partially because it helps marketing amplify um, in, you know, in an era of declining organic reach. So, And we're starting to actually do most of our deliverables totally separately like that, right? Where it's like, look, here is the reactive, more customer service style plan and the proactive, more marketing style plan because to lump those together now is not reflective of reality. In fact, we've done some consulting engagements this year with big companies who have had internal problems where the customer service or customer customer care part of the company wants to quote unquote own social and the marketing guys want to own social and they can't sort it out. So they have my team and I come in and say, okay, who, how, how do we solve this? Which is really interesting, mm-hmm. I think. It's fun work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, part of the challenge is <clears throat> the company has to solve is, is customer service operational or is customer service an arm of marketing now yeah. because of the yeah. question the social raises. Yeah. And um, you will see some organizations where they are combined. There are others where it very rationally they will not be combined because there are big operational considerations yeah. with the products. They're complex or what have you. Um, we're going to have um, uh, uh, Nick uh, Bespius from uh, LinkedIn at Connections. And oh, great. His, his title is Marketing and Customer Service, right? VP of Marketing and Customer Service. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think they were SVP, something like that. So it's, it, it's interesting the combination that you see in a few companies coming together, but um, that'll only that question will be forced by how social media evolves. I have a whole other line of inquiry for Mr. Mark Schaefer coming in just a moment, but first I'm gonna tell you about two of our fantastic sponsors. First this week, Formstack, love these guys. Told you about it last couple of weeks. Uh, terrific Indianapolis company. Look, you know, in many cases, it's way easier to build your own forms as a marketer uh, on a landing page, a conversion page, something like that, and also put in some cool testing to optimize your conversion rates. Uh, I know Mark does that, I do that. Jeff messes around with it too, especially for uh, his wife's business, and she was on the show a few weeks ago and was spectacular. Good to see her in Cleveland. Formstack uh, has a terrific free download that you should take a look at if you haven't yet. It's called the Form Conversion Report. The guys at Formstack took a look at 400,000 of their customers to figure out what really makes people fill out forms. So they looked at all kinds of different variables. Color, what do you call the button? Where do you put the button? Should the should the first name be on top of the form or to the left? Should you have full name or first and last? All kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, check it out. It will really surprise you. Grab that for free at bit.ly slash form conversion. That's bit.ly slash form conversion, all lowercase. That's from the guys at Formstack. Uh, also this week, I want to tell you about a great webinar from one of our long-term partners, Cision. Uh, who's getting ready to merge with Vocus, as some of you know. Uh, Cision has a webinar coming up on the 24th, so not too long after this airs, on September 24th. It's a, a webinar called The Right Toolkit 
for the PR Pro. So they're going to um, go through a whole series of different tools that you can consider adopting for influencer ID, for making connections with journalists, for organizing and understanding your own media coverage, highlighting your own public relations efforts. Really great stuff. That's Wednesday, September 24th, the right toolkit for the PR Pro. Uh, and that is from Cision. Even if you um, hear this afterwards, make sure you just uh, dial that in and they'll have it uh, recorded uh, afterwards. And you can get that at bit.ly slash toolkit PR. That's bit.ly slash toolkit PR. And importantly, that's all lower case. Mark, tell us what you actually do. <laughs> so so we know that you write and you and you speak and you yeah. podcast um, and and you do consulting for companies we've talked about that and you also teach which we haven't talked yeah. about too much yeah. um, what is what is your actual life look like uh, from a business perspective yeah I think the heart of everything I do really is teach whether I blog blog write books you know speak or consult it's it's really all about teaching so it's really just a question of how much you charge yeah yeah, that's exactly right (laughs) you charge by the audience i'm telling you this wampum thing this wampum thing i mentioned earlier first yeah yeah uh bear beads bear beads bear beads love it yeah so uh you know it's 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 just so diverse and this is why i love it you know i i i I love speaking Uh, i love speaking a lot because it gives me the opportunity to meet people in real life. That is the best part of my job. Um, you know, the consulting really is pushing me in some really new areas these days. And that's what I love because you just learn, you get out there. I'm working with some retail companies and pharmaceutical companies on, you know, one of the hot buzzwords you wrote about it, Jay, is the Omni Channel. Mm. How do we understand this? What does it really mean? So, you know, that's, that's kind of interesting. It's nuanced. Um, the other thing I've been getting into, which has been such a great learning experience, is different augmented reality applications. And this is a non-secret project I'm working on for the Air Force. So how do you work? How do you use augmented reality in certain communication situations, and teaching situations, cool. and, and and manufacturing situations where you got to get directions uh, right now, right there, you know, in in a, in a difficult in a different difficult situation. So. Um, and so I've been able to work with some of the top uh, augmented reality companies in the world, which is this is where it's all going, and it is coming fast. I mean, yeah. the development in this is breathtaking, and I think it's going to be really amazing to see what happens in the next, you know, 18 months. The the connection between wearable technology and augmented reality. So, I mean, I do, do I love the teaching. You know, uh, it's very very rewarding. And a lot of people, you know, love my books. Whenever you get a, a, a message, you've opened my eyes times ten. Yeah. You've changed my life. I'm buying this for my for my parents to learn Twitter. You know, I mean, nothing can replace that. So I'm so fortunate. I get to have a lot of great experiences and and uh, you know impact people in a lot of different ways. Do you have a whole uh, a whole team of people now sitting in your office doing uh, doing your bidding? The uh, Mark Schaefer uh, Rockettes, or, or how are you? Uh, <laughs> Oh, you set up. Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't called them the Rockets before, but I, I have a model similar to yours, where you know I'm at a point in my life I just don't want employees. I don't. I don't want the headaches of, of, of not leading but managing. I don't want that. And I, you know, so I have a virtual team. I have people really all over the world who help me in different aspects. Uh, 
and uh, you know I'm, I'm working on some big projects right now and I'll assemble different kinds of teams with people that I know so you're and sort I of trust. like the Avengers I am that's exactly okay. the way it is it's like the Avengers you call in the people when the crisis goes away they go away and I think that's an advantage to my clients too because I'm, I'm I have no pressure to cover overhead I have no pressure to sell anything I bring together the teams that I need, See, and that's the model that we need today. Well, and that was the problem with the Justice League. The Justice League had that whole, that whole they had center. That what was that, what was that yeah, called? The, the Hall of yeah. the Hall of Justice. Justice. Something and don't like even that? get me started. But with you compare the that X- to the Avengers. Don't they even get me that. started with the X Men, and they had to have that whole. Well, they had Xavier School, but I think that was a nonprofit. That's a completely. But different. they it's had a 501c3. Yeah, they had the whole R and D thing, though. Don't. It was an expensive operation. That is there. Just the snack budget in the Hall of Justice is a deal breaker. Yeah. There, there lies a great article. It does look like a social media command center, though. Yeah, the business yeah. models of the super teams. But yeah. that's a great, that's a great infographic. Yeah, yes. you ought to make that happen. Do oh, it. I like do it. it. Do I some like research. It. Yeah. Jay's pausing. He's wow, thinking. He's, their gear is turning Something's here. Something's filming out here. We've been, being, we've been friends for we've been friends for a long time, uh, and sort of what you're doing now versus what you were doing years ago is, is similar in many ways, but just at such a, a different scope and scale, and you've had enormous success in the industry, and rightfully so, because uh, you're a really smart guy and a very thoughtful guy and a very smart guy, which is not usually a, a trio that, that most people have. Um, how do you keep score? Like, you're involved in all these things, uh, and you say that at the heart you're a teacher, but, but how, do you, uh, how do you know that it's that it's working other than the obvious you know you're getting paid but but when you say you know how do you how do you what are your mark schaefer kpis other than height and a chevy chase uh, throwback (laughs) well you know my scorecard again i'm i'm just at a different place in my life where i'm not i have no aspiration to build a uh, fiefdom or to to build an agency you know I, i i want to build uh, a good business that that helps customers. I want it to be financially profitable, but I also want to have fun, you know. And I like it that uh, I mean I know you experienced this too. We were just talking about it, you know. I'm in a, such a, an amazing time and place where I can go to a cool place and take my wife, you know. And uh, you know, I just t- I took on uh, uh, I'm working with uh, Adidas now, and Adidas said, hey, here's our catalog. Pick out whatever you want, and you know, can I pick out something for my wife too? Sure. Well, I'm her hero now. Yeah. She's picking out something. Yeah. You know. So I think as as long as I keep my wife happy. See, just mixed stole new for fall. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I make my wife happy and I don't embarrass her. <laughs> That's the rub, right there. That is huge, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. This is now the marriage. The Mary Bros podcast. Yeah, that's how you. And that is how, that's how you're not transitioning, but I mean, and, and I and I want to have. I want to. You know, look, I've worked hard for a lot of years, and I want to have some fun now. You know, money. Money is great. The the the, the money has been very uh, encouraging and rewarding. But I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, uh, am I having fun? You know, is is this is this am I am I, you know, and I, I mean it when I mean I really am a teacher of my heart. I love helping people, and I don't think you can fake that. I think that comes through, and uh, I, I I I love having an impact on people. Did you did you see uh, or or experience a shift in that kind of personal KPIs 
once y- your kids left home. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the big the big hurdle is getting college done. You know, yeah. getting college paid for, and then all of a sudden you're kind of liberated to say, I don't have that pressure. Yeah. You know, to make that money anymore. Um, as I said, I'm in a different phase of yeah. my life. And 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 I and it's a wonderful phase that you know my you have kid, the ultimate flexibility. My, cult, my my kids are grown and and you know if if I my wife helps me with the business yeah she's involved she's in the she's my business manager keeps me thank God somebody is yeah oh, she's great she is fantastic she does all the things I hate and you know and does them very well so um, so yeah I have a different set of KPIs. You know, but but it's it's right for me. It's not right for everybody, yeah. but it's right for me. Well said, well said. Uh, we are going to ask you two big questions that we ask everybody to close out the show. But first, I'm going to acknowledge our two other sponsors who we love. We love, including XBeyond. Nobody from XBeyond on the show today because Nick is still bound and gagged in the corner. Uh, next week on the show, maybe it's two weeks. Uh, we're going to have. Um, uh, an XBeyond Beyond customer from Clinique uh, talking about all what Clinique is doing in social media. So that's going to be exciting. Uh, and if you have a robust social media challenge, you've got your franchise organization, your university, your uh, a big distributed global organization that's got a lot of people involved in social, you're going to need a pretty serious social media platform to make that happen these days. XBeyond might be the right solution for you. If you've not seen their new interface with the uh, multi-level uh, statistics dashboards that they give you depending on what layer you are in the organization. So they've got a special dashboard just for C-suite, a dashboard just for directors, a dashboard for operations folks. It's slick. Check it out, xbeyond.com, E-X-P-I-O-N.com. Tell me you heard it on Social Pros. And as always, Social Pros is brought to you by the good people at Exact Target Marketing Cloud, represented here in the flesh by Jeff Roars, Vice President of Marketing Education or whatever you're called. Is that right? Insights. Marketing Insights. Insights. Insights in Education. No, just Mark insights. In, just, just in, Vice President of Insights? And, and when I say that, I have to stroke the, the he is, Van Dyke. He is, the he is stroking the Van Dyke. He's so, fantastic. He's, Jeff is looking so thoughtful right now. He is. Insightful. Yeah. He is. Insightful. Uh, exact Target has a great free download that you should check out. Uh, it's perfectly aligned to today's topic. It's called Eight Steps to Transformative Social Customer Service. All kinds of tips for how to really bridge that gap between marketing and customer service using social media. Check it out. You'll learn a lot. Uh, bit.ly slash transform service. That's bit.ly slash transform service, all lowercase. Thanks, as always, to Exact Target Marketing Cloud. Okay, Mr. Schaefer, two big questions. Are you ready? I was born ready. What one tip would you give somebody looking to become a social pro? Well, I think to to really look at you know people want to get into social marketing. It's more about marketing than social. You know, uh, it's not just about creating a Facebook page. To, I, I think really get a good fundamental education in consumer behavior, in research, in analytics. Look, today marketing is math. It's becoming more so. It's not about big data. It's about teasing out wisdom from little data. And I think that that, that foundational marketing uh, education is still important. And that's what's going to be a differentiator for a social program. That's interesting. I don't think we've ever quite had that answer, that that notion of learn marketing first and then put social on top of it. That's really that's really good. And as an educator, right, as somebody who yeah. teaches marketing, uh, that makes because, sense. Because, you know, the, the platforms are going to shift. But if you, if you have that base knowledge, 
You know, if you yeah. if you know how consumer behavior works, if you know, look, it, you know, price, product, play, all that <clears> stuff, <throat> that's still marketing. Sure. You, you know, you've got to consider the holistic perspective. Yeah. You know, and if you're just a hammer looking for a nail, you're going to become obsolete. Yeah, it reminds me. I, I uh, back in the day, I ran. Uh, large-ish web design firms. And I used to hire a lot of designers. And, and one of my rules was, and this is probably um, some sort of violation of labor practices, but, you know, statute of limitations. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I used to say, look, if we're going to hire a designer, let's make sure we ha- we get somebody who can do web design, right, who understands web design and the software necessary and the technology necessary, but has an art degree. Somebody who, who learned to draw, mm-hmm. who, who knows how to do sculpture, right, who understands art first mm-hmm. and then web design on top of that as opposed to a lot of people who went to trade schools no offense intended mm-hmm. uh who who really understand the software but didn't have a foundation in mm-hmm. art like they knew they, they could make something look good but they had no idea why it looked good I and i found a, a huge analogy. difference um in that's those great. two people and and uh it was a hiring principle for many many years for me mm-hmm. that's a great analogy too it really works mm-hmm. Second question, final question from Mark W. Schaefer, author, podcaster, speaker, blogger, educator at Rutgers University, which is now in the Big Ten along with Indiana University uh, where I live. Uh, So I'm sorry to hear that. I think Rutgers is playing in Indiana this year for football. You need to come out. I would. You should do that. We should do that. That would be super fun. That would be fun. We'll tailgate it up. Yeah. Um, Last question is, if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? Oh my gosh. Um, the first person that comes to my mind is Malcolm Gladwell. Good. I don't uh, think we've ever had Gladwell okay. on the show, actually, which kind of surprises me. I'm a fanboy. Yeah. You know, uh, I, 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 he's, he's a masterful uh, storyteller. And I really, um, I've learned a lot from him just in how he how he writes books and yeah. how he, I mean, uh, you know, I I think that's one of the things that that why people like my books is because it is a, there's a lot of stories in there. Yeah. I teach yeah. through stories. Yeah. That's how I teach my classes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not bullet points, and that's how he teaches. That's how he writes. Yeah. So he's he's been a big influence on me. Um, you know, and and that's the first person you know for some reason that comes to mind. That's great. Have you seen him speak? I have. It was a bit disappointing, but <laughs> I love. I love him anyway, though. I mean, I think he's a. He's a. I think he's, he's a, a very little, effective speaker. Yeah. It's just different than you than people. Yeah, he's a little little stiff. He was a little stiff when yeah. I saw him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, he. Uh, it's the same kind of stories, but in a big room, he's so kind of quiet and unassuming that you you feel like there should be more yeah, should be pizzazz bit, there, yeah. and it's, yeah. it's a different kind yeah. of. Uh, but I'm, Different yeah, kind of style. Yeah, and and uh, he's not walking on coals like Tony Robbins. He is not walking on <clears throat> coals. He's not walking on sunshine. Yeah, but it, like Katrina and the waves. Yeah, but he's a, he's a been he's been a big influence on me. He's yeah. been a big teacher for me. Very nice, very nice. Mark, thank you for being here. Oh, it was fantastic to have you on the show. It's finally, been a joy. Jeff, always great to see you. Jeff has. Uh, a holy social moment. A quick number. A quick number. Oh, a number so, of the week. Yes, and it's going to be quick because we're in Cleveland. A number of the week, okay. And we're social, off. hold on, let me, let me tease it up. Okay, okay. Jeff Roars, what is this week's social media number of the week? Jay, because we are in Cleveland, Ohio, and as we are taping this, it is after the, uh, the opening uh, uh, weekend of the NFL season. Yes. The number is 10. 10. That is the number of years, record-breaking number of years that... 
My Cleveland Browns have gone without winning their opener. Is that right? 0-1 10 years in a row? And who did they lose to? 10 years. They lost the Steelers because they decided to only play. They only decided to play 29 minutes of football in the entire game. They didn't play the first 30. They didn't play the last minute. That tends to lose ball games. But I share this that because, is quite a stat. Oh, I can give ten you, years I, in a row losing I can your give opener. You many yeah. more stats about the Browns that will depress you. Yeah, but is. I point this out because that that is still a uh, a company, an entity that has sellouts. It has fans. Yeah. It has amazing social media presence and everything else. And uh, you know, I think it, it's indicative that you've really got to know your industry. Uh, to understand how social applies to it because you don't necessarily need a great product on the field. <laughs> yeah. Now, I hope by the time this trend just airs, but it's, but it's, but maybe we'll have a W under it. You do need hope. Oh, that's all we you have know, in, in Cleveland. You need hope. In terms of sports is we have hope. And, yeah. and, and that's one of the reasons, uh, you know, this maybe is for another day, but that's one of the reasons why I think the NFL kind of has to be careful is uh, that, that that hope can wear thin in an era when people have many, many more entertainment options yeah. Uh, for their dollar, and you've got to you got to deliver on the field. But now the nice now. thing about the NFL is is that the way it's structured with the hard salary caps and and revenue sharing and all that is that teams go from bad to good routinely. The average number of playoff teams that change over year to year is six for like fifteen years. That never happened in basketball. The day they start playing, you know with certainty that there's only three teams that can possibly win. Mm-hmm. With certainty. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen in football, which is, I think, why hope actually does spring eternal. Yeah. But for the fact that the Cleveland Browns in their most recent incarnation, who have been back since 99, have gone to the playoffs once. That's true. That's true. As a long-suffering Cardinals fan, uh, I, I do not fully share your pain, but pretty damn close. Pretty <laughs> so that that was my number since we're in Cleveland. That's good. Wow, that is a shocking stat. Hashtag go Browns question mark. Hashtag go Browns? That's, that's how you say that. Uh, next week on the show, uh, in uh, part three of our author series that we're on here, a little jag, uh, next week on the show will be Mr. Scott Stratton talking about his new book, Unselling. He will be uh, fantastic. I don't think Scott's ever been on this show, actually. I don't think so. Uh, so that'll be great. And then as mentioned, um, Ten Odo from uh, Clinique will be the week after that. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. As always, this has been Social Pros. Thanks for listening to Social Pros, the show for real people doing real work in social media. Please tell your friends about the show. Subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and view all episodes at socialpros.com. Until next week, thanks to Cision, Janray, XPN, and ExactTarget, a Salesforce.com company.